Hello, this is Real Estate Insights, the podcast from Savills that goes everywhere in the property world to ask every question and then comes back to the biggest ones of all, like today's. What's going to happen to house prices over the next five years? We can see house price growth coming in at 15%, but as ever, big regional and local variations around that number. And if you're going to be looking for house price growth, does it matter where you live? On the one end of the spectrum, you've got regions such as the Northwest, where we're expecting to see very strong levels of house price growth. On the other end of the spectrum, you've got London, where house price growth is still massively constrained by the availability of mortgage finance. I'm Guy Ruddle, and with me are two Savills people whose entire careers depend on being reasonably right about this sort of thing. Lucian Cook is head of residential research and spends almost as much time in the Real Estate Insights studio as he does looking into his crystal ball. Lucian, hello again. Hi, how are you? Good to be back in my second home. <laughs> and Lawrence Bowles is no stranger to the podcast and is a senior analyst in the research team. Lawrence, good to see you again. Great to be back. So, gentlemen, has your job looking ahead into the future, ever been as hard as it is now? Well, I'd like to say that I'm more mature than Lawrence, but the reality is I'm just older. Um, So (laughs) I've been doing this since about 2007. So for 12 years, I've been property forecasting. 2007 was challenging, credit crunch. And in the, in the years just after that, it was, it was difficult because huge levels of financial uncertainty. I suppose what's different now is that we've got huge levels of political uncertainty. And actually, the job's been quite difficult um, since 2016. We used to refer to house price forecasting as a danger sport. Uh, I, you know, I think it's probably that takes it a little bit too far. But Given everything that's going on, the prospect of a general election, still the prospect as to how and if we leave the EU, then the only way we can really approach this is to is to make some assumptions on which to base our forecasts. Otherwise, it, it really is a very difficult job. And Lawrence, those assumptions, what are they? In the immediate term, first of all, we've obviously got an um, election coming up on the 12th of December. We're assuming there that the election returns a slim Conservative majority, and that as a result, we're able to get some form of Brexit agreement through Parliament by the first half of next year. But we would expect that uncertainty to continue uh, through over the next year or so as we see that future relationship unfold. And we're also assuming that there's no further significant changes to stamp duty or to mortgage regulation. Right. OK, well, let's let's take those assumptions then and look at the broad picture, because the, the good thing, I guess, is if you're looking at five years is whatever happens in the next year, it's unlikely that Brexit's going to take five years to sort out. Not impossible, but unlikely. So really, that if you're taking a five year view, Lucien, then there is some sort of sense of stability perhaps in there. What's the big house price picture over the next five years? Well, I suppose... Lawrence has talked about the return to economic growth when comes with it wage growth, and that can be a really strong driver of house prices. But if we end up with a scenario that we're, we're talking about, the assumptions that we're making, it also means that interest rates are likely to gradually increase over the period of the next five years. And that will put a lid on house price growth, it'll put a cap on it, particularly given that for most people who are going to buy with a mortgage, they're going to be stress tested in terms of what they can afford by their bank. So so affordability is going to be key. And over five years, we can see house price growth coming in at 15%. How that pans out over those five years is more difficult to judge. You know, that that's the real trick in that period. And the first question we've asked ourselves is, is there will be a Brexit bounce next year on the assumption 
that we get a deal done by the 31st of January. We think in reality, there'll be a bit of a burst of activity, but a bounce as such is short lived because of course we get through uh, getting a Brexit deal. We've still got to get through a transition period. We've still got to make um, all of those trade agreements with our partners. And that delays any real bounce until 2021 when we can see house price growth going from say 1% across the country next year to 4.5% the year after, and then 15% in total um, over the five year periods across the UK. But as ever, big regional and local variations around that number. Yeah, because in a way, Lawrence, I, I, I like asking about that overall figure. And, you know, 15% over five years feels like a, a decent enough number. But actually, it's not that meaningful if you live in one part of the country or another. And uh, how big a variation are we going to see? And what, and what sort of variations do you think? Quite. There's very few parts of the country that are actually bang on average. Um, in reality, what we're expecting to see is some real variation in that house price growth. Um, on the one end of the spectrum, you've got regions such as the Northwest, where we're expecting to see very strong levels of house price growth over the next five years, to the tune of 24%. Um, reaching really? right down That's... to... That, it's, it's, you know, it reflects the amount of investment we're seeing in there and the infrastructure there and the, the demand that we're seeing for housing there. On the other end of the spectrum, you've got London, where house price growth is still massively constrained by the availability of mortgage finance. And there we're expecting to see just 4% growth over the next five years. Is it as simple as sort of turning the country upside down and sort of you know, everywhere in the north is going to be good and everywhere in the south is going to be less good? To some extent, yeah. I mean, this this reflects where we are in the housing market cycle. Traditionally, uh, you see prime, very central parts of London leading the cycle and growing quickly first, and then that price growth rippling out through the rest of the country. Then you see that that pattern reverse, and, and we see the inverse of that. So we're, we're at that stage now. Um, we saw this cycle begin uh, to invert maybe in 2016. Indeed, yeah. Certainly in the mainstream market, perhaps a little bit earlier in the prime market. And of course, the difference between some of the prime markets and the mainstream is that prices in London, particularly, the prime markets have fallen much more substantially than they have in the mainstream market. And that means that if you turn that map upside down, the the area that will the, the difference that you will see with London and the South East being weak is what happens in the prime markets. If you take prime central London, for an example, prices are off since 2014 by 20%. If you were buying in US dollar terms at the end of September, you would have had a discount of 42%. Now, normally, that is the point at which you get a recovery in the market. The timing of that recovery is quite uncertainty. We think there'll be some price growth in that very specific market next year. But the price growth prospects there are much stronger than they are in the London mainstream. So prime central London markets plus 20 over a five-year period, mainstream London constrained by mortgage finance plus four. And that really is the difference between domestic use of debt in the mainstream market and in the prime markets, it's much more about wealth and equity across the globe, obviously including a, a high proportion of domestic buyers, but also some of those international buyers as well. So have the prime and mainstream markets been traditionally been as sort of separate as they have in the last few years? I mean, that, that distinction, that you know, elastic stretching between prime central London and mainstream London has been particularly apparent over the last five years. Just looking, looking back to that period, as Lucian said, price growth, uh, prices falling 20% in prime central London since, since those uh, initial stamp duty changes that we saw introduced under George Osborne as Chancellor. Um, over that time, we've seen prices in mainstream London uh, house prices growing by 15%. So we've seen that elastic stretch. We've seen those markets diverging before. And what we're predicting here is, is effectively a reversal of that to a more limited degree. I'm not sure how 
good a question this is, but I'm going to ask it anyway. An economist will tell you that prices are, are driven by a variety of things, one of which is supply and demand, and another of which is affordability. And certainly in London... Those two things aren't in the same direction at the moment, are they? I mean, there's much more demand than there is supply, so do you expect prices to go through the roof? But the affordability is holding everything down. So why is it, why is it affordability that's holding sway here rather than demand? And that may sound like a stupid question, but I'm, yeah. I'm not sure it is. Well, I think it's simply because we live in an age of mortgage regulation. So you've reached a point in London where that supply-demand imbalance has pushed prices up to a level where the market has become confined to more affluent households or really quite affluent households who are stretching themselves further in terms of what they borrow relative to their income. And they've gone through the process where they can move to the next best location. They've gone as far as they can within that process. So they've really hit the limits of affordability and that's the constraint. And that's that's what holds it back to 4%. But by the time you get to the end of our five-year period, you'll start to see London acting a bit more like the southeast of England again and other comparable markets because you will have gone through a, a large chunk of that process of adjustment. So it's not all doom and gloom by any stretch of the imagination for London. It's a process it has to get back to to get back to you know the relative level of pricing that it needs to be against other parts of the market. Yeah. So it's, it, even if people were willing to put more of their money towards a roof over their heads the 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 industry the lending industry won't let them yeah it's not able to you know it's yeah. not that it, it yeah. doesn't necessarily have the desire it simply can't do so because of regulation i also want to talk about rents uh, in the in the rental market uh, briefly what's going to happen to those so broadly in the very long term rental growth correlates very strongly with income growth. And so we're expecting rents to continue growing across the UK. We're expecting to see above average uh, rental growth in London, 18.8% over the next five years. And that's driven partly by that stronger economic and uh, income growth in London, but also because we're seeing that constraint in supply due to those tax changes we've seen for buy-to-let landlords and for increased regulation for those landlords there as well. It's a slightly weaker uh, picture across the rest of the country there. We're predicting around 13% growth across the rest of the UK, but still seeing positive rental growth uh, wherever you are in the country. Yeah. Yeah, and absolutely. I mean, I think that reflects the fact that fundamentally we've got um, uh, an undersupplied rental market. Um, as anybody who is in the rental market and frustrated will know, you know, there isn't a massive amount of choice and availability of rental stock. And, and that's not been helped uh, by, um, by some of the tax changes we've seen put upon um, private landlords. So essentially what you find is that rental growth sort of hits up much like house prices against the limits of affordability. And we're going to come to uh, the Savile Standard statistic in a moment. But just before that, one thing we haven't talked about is sort of activity levels in the market, transactions over the next five years. What, what, are, we, what are we thinking is, is going to be like? We're expecting transaction levels to remain broadly static over the next five years at around 1.2 million per year. Uh, but there's going to be some real shifts in the distribution and the makeup of those transactions. So on the one hand, you've got those mortgaged buy-to-let landlords who are really struggling with those regulations. We're expecting their numbers to fall quite substantially. On the other hand, you've got buyers such as uh, mortgage first-time buyers and increasingly those mortgage home movers who are, because of this low interest rate environment, are more able to exercise that that demand. They're able to access that mortgage finance. And so we're expecting more resilience from those uh, those transaction numbers. 
Now, uh, sometimes a Savile standout statistic uh, gets people a little bit nervous because they've got to come up with something. It's like performing. But you guys, it should be meat and drink to you, you know, in, in your business of being researchers and having all the numbers. So who wants to go first? Shall I, shall I give it a crack? I'm going to go with a, a relatively uncomplicated standout statistic. Blimey. And my standout statistic is 21. And the reason it's 21 is twofold, because in 2021, uh, we think that is the, the first time that we think a hey, Brexit bounce will really get a foothold in the market. You've got to get through the transition period. You've got to have those deals in place at the end of December 2020. So that's the first reason. And the second reason um, I picked 21 is because that is the number of individual quarters over which prices in prime central London have been falling. Not significantly in any of them, but cumulatively, that's why prices have fallen by 20% over that period. And that is what gives us, if you like, the platform for a return to growth going forward, because it looks like relatively good value because of that. Sorry, let me get that straight. 21 consecutive quarters. So 21 periods of three months. So what's that? Five, year, five years and a bit Five years non-stop. Falls in in prime central London. Yeah. Gradual has, falls, I think, is probably mm. the best way to put it in London, yeah. and that reflects a, a whole mm. succession of factors. And, and what we're expecting over the period of the next five years is, to a greater or lesser degree, that to go into reverse because central London, you know, always difficult to call it at the bottom, but looks like pretty good value. Yeah, Lawrence, what's yours? Mine is thirty six percent. Um, and that is the proportion of transactions that, that are currently, and we're continuing to forecast, the, the number of transactions that are carried out by people just buying with cash. So no more mortgage debt whatsoever. They're just putting the money down outright. 36%? Uh, more than a third of uh, housing transactions are just cash purchase. I don't know any of those people, I don't think. Gentlemen, that's been fantastic as usual. Thank you very much for your time. That's it for this episode of Real Estate Insights. If you want more information, want to delve deeper into the numbers and everything, you can do so in the Residential Property Forecast Report, which you'll find at the research section of the Savills website, savills.co.uk slash research. If you aren't already a subscriber and would like to become one, then please feel free to do so using your usual podcast provider. You can get future episodes delivered straight to your phone or whatever, and you can go back and all sorts of things you can listen to from the past. In the meantime, thank you very much for listening. See you next time. This podcast is for general information only and should not be considered professional advice. Savills accepts no liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect or consequential loss arising from the use of, reference to or reliance on this podcast or its content. Savills makes no warranty as to the accuracy of the information in this podcast. This podcast and all copyright in this podcast is the property of Savills and it shall not be used, reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without Savills' prior written consent.